Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, an early look at spring flooding forecasts and a local perspective on the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice from a key player. But first, some bills at the Minnesota legislature are fun and some maybe less so. MN's Bill Werner has a little bit of both as he recaps this week's activity at the state capitol. Scott, as former House Speaker and now U of M Board of Regents Vice Chairman Steve Swigum used to say, you have to have your peas before you get your ice cream. So first, an update on the top two assignments of the 2020 legislative session, a bonding bill for state public works projects, and what to do with the budget surplus. That before we get to more fun stuff. Clear battle lines drawn this week over what to do with the state's projected $1.3 billion budget surplus. Senate Republicans proposed giving $1 billion of it back to Minnesotans by reducing the lowest income tax rate, expanding the K-12 education tax credit, eliminating state income tax on Social Security benefits, plus tax relief for farmers and other measures. Tax Committee Chairman Roger Chamberlain. The only folks up here that are not truly represented by a special interest are all those people who pay the bills. We are going to fully and adequately represent the workers and the taxpayers and the people who pay the bills in the state of Minnesota. Senate Republicans' plan squarely breaks with Democrats by not including money to expand early childhood education programs. Chamberlain says they're not giving up on opportunity for kids, but, quote, we have other priorities right now. Senator Ann Rest, Democrats' point person on the tax committee, calls Senate Republicans' plan just reckless. She says lawmakers haven't even seen the budget forecast to know if the money is available. A new economic forecast comes out next Thursday. Now to the bonding bill for state public works projects. Majority Leader Paul Gazelka hinted this week that state Senate Republicans might agree to a number greater than $1 billion. The last two general obligation bond bills were both under a billion, but uh, the point is what are the projects that we have in there? And if there, there's a lot of need for wastewater infrastructure improvement across the whole state, if we put a lot of money in that, my number goes up. You know, if we're looking at roads and bridges, that's uh, my number goes up. Governor Tim Walls has proposed roughly a $2 billion bonding bill. It's expected House Democrats' number will be higher than that. Senate GOP leader Gazelka indicates he has high confidence that the legislature will pass a bonding bill this year. Okay, now that we've had our peas, time for ice cream. If that bill gets to my desk, um, I would probably sign it. Governor Tim Walls talking about the latest push to legalize firecrackers and aerial fireworks in Minnesota. His comments came as firefighters converged on the state capitol for fire service day. And Burnsville Fire Chief B.J. Jungman said they're concerned about people's safety. Only licensed professionals are are the ones that are able to... uh, make sure that um, the fireworks that leave the ground go in a safe direction. The governor argues prohibition doesn't necessarily work. We all know that our neighbors who are going to Wisconsin um, may be a legalization and a, uh, uh, the ability to be able to regulate here in Minnesota. There's an opt-out for local communities. Senate sponsor Republican Jason Rarick from Pine City. Very clear in the bill that a local jurisdiction has the ability to pass an ordinance to restrict the use uh, that they would not be allowed there if they felt it didn't fit in. But Richfield Fire Chief Wayne Kiewicz, representing a statewide coalition of fire prevention groups, warned lawmakers about increased injuries from mishaps. This proposed legislation would legalize the recreational use of explosives. 
I mentioned ice cream, so how about another dairy product? Milk would be the default beverage for children's meals at restaurants across Minnesota. Under a bill rolled out this week by Senator Carla Bigham of Cottage Grove, she says it is not a mandate. We are not trying to preempt parental decision-making here. If if you still want your child to have juice or, or pop, just have to ask for it. There will also be no surcharge or upcharge of drinks as a result of this bill if it is passed. Bigham says the goal of the bill is to help ensure that children make healthy decisions about nutrition. And backers readily acknowledge it's meant to give a boost to Minnesota dairy farmers. State lawmakers are considering a bill designed to cut down on wait times for driver's license tests. Republican State Senator Karen Housley from St. Mary's Point says it would allow private third-party behind-the-wheel instructors to administer the tests. Tracy Tobert, a mom who says she had trouble getting an appointment for her daughter. We live in St. Paul, and we ended up getting a driver's test in Ortonville, Minnesota, which is 180 miles from here and a three-and-a-half-hour drive. But Pat Benner with the AFSCME Council 5 State Employees Union warns... We believe that allowing third parties to administer these driver's exams could lower the standards and increase the costs for Minnesotans to take their tests. Assistant State Public Safety Commissioner Tim Lino echoed... Moving to third-party testing would be a sharp departure for policy here in Minnesota. From the perspective of the Department of Public Safety, this is a safety issue. The proposal comes after reports last summer that students of some driving schools were given preference for taking driver's tests, while other students resorted to camping outside testing centers to secure a testing spot because of long wait times. Scott? Thank you for that, Bill. Up next, Tasha Radel has a preview of spring flooding forecasts when Minnesota Matters returns. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. All signs are pointing to an active spring flooding season. Tasha Radel has more. Local, county, and state officials are keeping a close eye on spring flood forecasts. Joining me now with a brief overview is National Weather Service hydrologist Craig Schmidt. Well, I can tell you that uh, for the, the, fact, the flood factors that we know um, are pretty high for, for this time of year right now. So um, soil moisture it was extremely high um, as we went into freeze-up this year, so, and probably even higher than last year. So we basically have a saturated soil that, that, uh, that is now frozen. Um, river levels also going into the winter and through the, through the winter are much higher than normal. Um, in some cases, the highest they've ever been for January, February. So we've got two factors right there that point to um, a high potential for, for flooding. Of course, the main factors are going to be what kind of snowpack we end up with 
and then what our melt looks like, what kind of temperature profile we end up with in March, and whether we get, you know, more snow while the melt is going on or rain on top of snow. Um, so we'll have to see how that all works out. But right now, anyway, the uh, uh, the factors that we do know at this point are do uh, point to a, a pretty high potential for flooding this spring. And obviously, I know you're probably not an expert in this, but are you encouraging Minnesotans to perhaps maybe look into flood insurance, even if they typically don't live in a flood zone? Um, as for, for, for our perspective on that is that we think that a lot of areas that haven't seen flooding in the past are more susceptible this year. Um, lakes are going to be very high. Just low, anything, any low land, you're going to see water backing up into areas that, that probably hasn't seen it for many years, uh, given how high the soil moisture is. So any rain that falls this spring is going to be falling on saturated soil. So, um, you know, if, if you're in an area that has any kind of, um, susceptibility to flooding, then I certainly would be looking into it. I think the main point is last year, we're very similar to last year at this time in terms of what our potential is. And last year we had a perfect melt. We had a really nice set of temperatures where we warmed up during the day, but not too high. And then we cool off at night. And so our melt slowed down and it sped up and slowed down. And then we had a very dry period from mid-March into early April. So um, we were really lucky last year. And so um, if we have anything even close to more of a normal spring, I think our potential will be, be higher. Joining me now to talk about the importance of flood insurance is Joe Kelly, State Director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. If I could make one more point, just because we are talking about floods and floods are, floods are top of mind. Uh, a key to resilience for families and, and homeowners is to make sure that we have adequate insurance coverage on our home and on, our, on, our, um, on the contents of those homes. And with the flood forecasts the way they are, now is the time for all of us to renew our national flood insurance or to enroll in it if we're, we're not using that to protect our property now. And it's important for people to remember, you go buy flood insurance, it has to be in effect for 30 days before you're fully covered. Citing increased frequency of storms and flooding, Governor Tim Walz is asking the legislature to add $30 million to the state's disaster assistance account. Good governance should be proactive, not waiting till after this happens, not getting into a special session, not holding up the ability of counties to be able to recover. We've got a model here that when I go to the National Governors Association, other states ask about. They ask about this account. They ask about how we do it because it is the best practice on how to handle these. We did it last year with very little drama. We did it on time, as uh, Representative Pulowski said, by April 1st. We've got a lot of stuff to do this session that we will get into. I think this is one that I would ask. If we move this to the front of the queue, uh, get this thing taken care of, the, the chair is going to uh, hold that, I believe, next Monday to go back through this again, making sure people are comfortable with the accounting practices, how this is done, what the recoveries have looked like, and comments from the, the recipients of this aid to make sure that our legislators, as they should be, feel comfortable that we're managing this correctly. So it's good. Good stuff. Um, it gets us ready. And uh, I would again echo uh, Director Kelly. I'd be remiss if I did not uh, order or get your uh, flood insurance now. Governor Wall says at some point we need to look at the bigger picture, flooding and climate change. I'm going to make this, this is simply, they happen, they happen to the counties. I don't want to get distracted by the issue that I think is settled on climate, that they are happening. These weather events are different than climate, but when you have numerous weather events happening one after another, you start to develop a pattern which eventually becomes climate. One way or another, we are in a cycle now of heavier and wetter 
uh, events. We're having more extreme weather happening, and it would be irresponsible not to prepare for them. And I think that's what a lot of this is talking about. We're in this cycle right now, and in knock on wood, we hope that that money would stay in there, that we don't have this. But as Representative Pulowski said, this is where government, and I think, again, this is a model for the rest of the country. Other states that didn't have this really got hit by it. Um, the ability for me as governor to be able to provide relief to these counties in a very timely manner is an amazing thing. We see the resiliency come back. But just like FEMA's asking about, mitigation is the key here. Making sure that we can't continue to rebuild bridges that are in areas that continue to flood, much like floodplain maps show that. So, Scott, all eyes on the spring forecast will March come in like a lamb or a lion. Back to you. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, an in-depth look at the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice when Minnesota Matters returns. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This weekend marks the 40th anniversary of arguably the most memorable moment in American sports history. The 1980 USA Olympic men's hockey team won the gold medal at Lake Placid, pulling off the Miracle on Ice upset of the Soviet Union along the way. Twelve of the 20 players were from Minnesota, and the U.S. head coach was the legendary Herb Brooks, who played and coached for the Golden Gophers. One of the leading scorers on the team was St. Paul native and former Gopher Rob McClanahan, who is now the head boys hockey coach at the Blake School in the Twin Cities. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with McClanahan to recount the memories four decades later. Well, tryouts were late July, last week of July, first week of August, and it was truly intense. I'm going to take you back a little farther. Um, I had the opportunity and the honor of playing for the U.S. national team in Moscow in 1979. Herbie was the coach, and a lot of there were a handful of players from Minnesota. Mark Johnson went on this trip. There was Joey Mullen from Boston College. Herbie wanted him badly on the team, but Joey decided to turn pro. Anyway, after that tournament, I made it my mission to make to do whatever I could, whatever it took, to make the Olympic team. So I trained as hard as I'd ever trained that summer. I lifted weights three days a week. I, I did dry land. And dry land at that time was unheard of. You just, people don't know what it is. We didn't do dry land, but I did. And then I shot pucks on my own, 200 pucks a day for five days a week through the summer until the tryouts. So I got to, to uh, Colorado Springs for the tryouts. There were 84 players, four teams. We, we had games every other day on the odd days. We practiced and were tested by Jack Blatherwick in terms of speed, quickness, and things like that. Really intense, two, two and a half weeks. And it was midnight after that time, and Herbie stood up in the room, and there was 84 players. And he said, I'm going to name 26 players. If you hear your name, get up and go back into this room behind me. And he said, if I don't call your name and you have questions, I will take whatever time is necessary to answer any and all of your questions as to why you weren't selected. So he started reading off the names. And now, I'd played for Herbie for three years, and you think you got a guy figured out to some degree. Well, there was no rhyme or reason as to whom he was calling off, what order. It wasn't geographic. It wasn't alphabetic. It wasn't by A. I, who knows what it no, was? It was? But Neil Broughton was to my left, and he'd gone through about two-thirds of the roster. I looked at Neil, and we looked at each other and basically saying, what the heck's going on? And all of a sudden, Neil's name was called, and my name was called right after Neil. So then you have to maintain composure because you don't want to go crazy because there's 60 other guys that want to kick your ass, excuse right. my French, right. because they weren't selected. So we got into the back room. That was as, as exciting a time for me, for Robin Clanahan, as, as winning the gold medal because I had set out an objective, a very lofty goal. I had no guarantees of making it, and I succeeded in what I wanted to do. 
and it just taught me something. I mean, I worked really hard, and, and it, there's a phrase, you know, you plan the work and work the plan. Well, it does work. It happens if you do that, but you have to be diligent. He sat with us individually probably two times during the year, so we knew where we stood individually. And as the year progressed, I continued to, to I started out as a fourth liner. And I'll tell you an interesting story. I was number seven. They gave me number seven. I was seven at the University of Minnesota. I didn't like number seven. You know, um, it, it just, I know there were a lot of great players at the award. I just didn't like it. So when we came back from Europe, I asked to change jersey numbers, and they gave me a couple of options, and I chose number 24. Best thing I ever did. It changed my, I, I started fresh. I was brand new, fresh. And right after that, we came back to, from Europe, Herbie put me with Mark Johnson, and we clicked right away. I mean, it was, we just could read each other, and we were both really fast, we moved the puck, and so we played together for most of the rest of the year, and uh, Mark was by far our best offensive player, our best player, we called him Magic, and I was the second leading scorer after the regular season, so something worked, and, and Herbie had the, the mindset, I guarantee you Herbie didn't envision me playing with Mark Johnson, I guarantee it. He didn't envision me being the second leading scorer, but again, the work that I had put in started paying off. So then we got to the Olympics. We played the, the Soviets on February 9th and got beat 10-3. And as Al Michaels says, it wasn't that close. And it wasn't. And so we got back to the Olympic Village the next day, and Herbie had a meeting, and he said, if we play at the top of our game and get some breaks, we can win a bronze. If we play at the top of our game and get all the breaks, we can win a silver. Forget the gold. The Soviets have the gold. Then we played Sweden. We tied Sweden. And he, he also made sure the first two games were the most important, obviously, Swedes and the Czechs. Tied Sweden crushed the Czechs and who at the time were the second-ranked team in the world. And so from there, we just had to take care of business, which we did. And then came the Soviet game. And uh, they were flat. They had to come from behind against Canada. They had to come from behind against the Finns. So Herbie started playing. And Herbie was a psychology major, and he knew how to motivate players. And he, throughout that whole time, once we got by the first two games, he just kept working us. You scored the game-winning goal, basically the gold medal-winning goal, Finland. Everyone talks about the Russia game, which was the key. That's the miracle on ice. But you had to, two days later, beat Finland to get the gold medal. Um, Again, coming from behind, you're in the third period. Walk me through that gold medal-winning goal. So we were behind, I'll tell you a quick st- we were behind 2-1 after two periods. Out of the eight games we played, the other team scored first seven of those games. Back in the selection time in August when Herbie picked the team, he said, uh, we may not be the most talented team, but we will be the best conditioned team. And he was right. And that played a role in how we played our games. We dominated the third periods of every game, with the exception of maybe the Soviets. So Herbie came in and gave an infamous speech before the Finns. Herbie never swore, by the way. And he walked in, and he always had speeches prepared. And all he did this time is he paced back and forth a couple times, and he looked at us, and he said, if you lose this game, you're going to take it to your effing grave. He turned, walked to the door, and looked back and said, you're effing grave. What are we going to do? Guess what? We got scored on first. The, the other Finns scored on us. Anyway, we're down 2-1 to one after 2. Herbie didn't want to go into the locker room. Craig Patrick went, came in and started giving us this stuff. We said, Patty, get the hell out of here. We got this. There was no way... After we had already, the hard part had been done. There was no way we were going to lose that game. So Phil Verkota scored the tying goal. And then um, I don't remember how much time was left, but I was playing, and Eric Strobel was to my left. Mark Johnson was behind the net, and I was to the goalie's left. And I yelled for the puck. Mark gave me the pass, and I looked to pass across the crease to Eric when the, the goalie kicked out his leg. I believe it was Pele Lindbergh. And I just shot, shot it through his five hole between the legs, and... When that went in, I looked at Mark, and we knew 
it was over. That's Olympic hero Rob McClanahan with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. We'll be back with part two of Miracle on Ice when Minnesota Matters returns. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Here's part two of MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm's conversation with sports hero Rob McClanahan talking about the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. Guys, our age, we remember it. We saw it. I watched it. You played in it. Younger people now, their base of reference is the movie Miracle, which is a great movie, by the way. If people haven't seen it, they should watch it. How close, I mean, not to get too detailed, but how close was it? Are you happy with it? Do you like the movie? I mean, obviously Hollywood takes some some liberties at times. So there's a couple things. The movie's about Herbie, and I'm not saying that with complaints or anything like that. The movie was very well done. The other part of it is there were only, you have two, two and a half hours with which to tell a story. You can only have so many storylines. Our best player was Mark Johnson, and his role in the movie is minimal, right? There are other guys that had huge impacts on our team that had a small role. So with that said, the movie was about Herbie. It tells a great story. Most of it was legit. There are a couple of th- things. The scene where I got in a fight with Jack O'Callaghan didn't occur, but they only have two hours to tell a story. The truth is we didn't like each other, we being Minnesota and the guys from Boston. We hated each other. And so they created that scene to show that. The scene where we skated for an hour after the Norway game did take place, but Rizzo didn't smack his stick, or he didn't yell out, you know, Mike Ruzioni, USA. Uh, Mark Johnson, in fact, it was, they had turned the lights out, and Mark smacked his stick against the glass, and uh, Herbie yelled, who who did that? And nobody would say anything. So we kept skating. Another side note, when I was a freshman, we would go on to Lake Superior State. The Minnesota Gophers played Lake Superior State, who at the time was a D2 school, and we lost. They had just won the NCAA the previous year, the 76 against uh, Michigan Tech. So Sunday we get back to Williams Arena and Herbie says, uh, go get your gear on. So it's a Sunday afternoon. We skated for three and a half hours and all we did were Herbies. We got on the ice Monday at 2.30 and got off at 6.15 and all we did were Herbies. Tuesday on the ice at 2.30 off at 6.15 and all we did were Herbies. So the three days of Herbies, no pucks. This is as a gopher now. This is as a gopher. You couldn't do that today. The coach would get fired. But in those days, Herbie, that's what Herbie did. You're not going to embarrass the the letter on the front. You're not going to embarrass the University of Minnesota. And so during that time, Tom Vanelli was a senior, and I remember him saying, don't let this bastard beat you. I mean, he didn't say it. He was yelling it um, because you just have to You shut your mind down and you just do it. So I started saying that in Norway. Mark Johnson was to my right. You know, some of the guys, like the BU guys had probably done this with Jackie Parker, but I know most of the guys had never skated like this. They just hadn't. It's masochistic, but 
we did it, and that's the time where we started becoming the we versus Herbie, and that's where we started getting close. You, have, I think, in the past have talked about there was that we versus Herbie, and that worked. It worked. You got a gold medal. And it wasn't until maybe years later that you started, even as a gopher, um, didn't have that. It was almost players against the coach. But you started to, to, unfortunately, before his untimely death, started to get a little closer to him where the wall was kind of breaking down because part of what he did was build that wall to create competition, right? Well, he, he built that wall to create competition. I also, I also feel that he built that wall so that the decisions he ended up making were easier on him, per se. He, the, the subjectivity was was far less, and he looked at it as objectively as you could or as he could. So I never did have a warm and fuzzy conversation with Herbie. And as you mentioned, several of us were starting to break down that barrier, starting to actually give him a hard time and, and joke with him a little bit when he ended up passing away. So it, that, that was a sad day. There's a scene in the movie where, and obviously it happened, where you got injured in the, the game against Sweden. You had a bruise, and um, they were going to try to keep you out. And then he came in and challenged you. And in the movie, you guys got in the fight. How accurate was that? And, um, and what um, kind of walk us through that story? So that, I got hurt first shift of the game. I was ready to go, rocking and rolling, and I got a major contusion on the first shift trying to avoid a check. I jumped up and just hit the boards. And so the trainer had decided that I'm done for the game. There's a, there was a slight chance I would be able to play. So I had taken my gear off, and I was on my back with my leg bent with a big, huge ice pack, and he came in. And if, for those who have seen the movie, the, the scene is reasonably accurate, but it was far more intense in real life because what happened is I jumped up and I we were screaming at each other about inches apart from one another and I started throwing a punch when he turned and walked out. They so they my teammates grabbed me and I followed him out into the hallway, and we were yelling. I told him, you're, "There's no, you're not going to tell me if I can play. I'll tell you if I can play." And so we're screaming at each other. And the Swedish locker room was right next to ours. This is the first period of the first game of the Olympics, and the couple of Swedish players walked out and said, "The U.S. has already lost their marbles." I never did talk to Herbie about that I w because I was never comfortable enough. And by the time I was comfortable enough, he was gone. I, it's hard to argue with the result. Wow, it's something else. Let me ask one final question. Are there any stories that haven't been told that you could share with us, or is everything out in the open now? There's probably something that's there that hasn't been discussed, but it, um, uh, I'll leave it with this. It, it's... You know, you said I'm coaching. I'm coaching the Blake boys, and, and um, I just try to make sure the the biggest lesson I learned, and I'm not just speaking for myself. I, every player on that team will will tell you this. It was really hard work. It was also the most fun I ever had, and it taught me that we were capable of far more than we ever thought we were. But it's not without its um, sacrifices. It's not without its you know, having some tough times. But that was the greatest year of hockey I've ever experienced in my life. And those are my very, very dear and true friends to this day. And that's what I hope to convey and convince these young kids, these young men, to be able to, to do. And, and it's a very close-knit group. You can tell when teams are close. And um, that's the biggest lesson I learned. Very good. So fun. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. That's Rob McClanahan and Mike Grimm on Minnesota Matters. For more from this interview, including bonus portions, you can go to minnesotanewsnetwork.com. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.